everyone. It's Carolyn for another episode of Carolyn Talks for the So Here's What's Happening podcast. And today I am joined by two lovely ladies to discuss their film Double Speak, which will be screening at Sundance 2021. And with me today I have director Hazel McKibben and lead actress Angela Wong Carbon. And we're going to discuss the film and we're going to get into how the film explores sexual harassment in the workplace and the repercussions and the consequences for that, both emotionally and I guess you could say legally. And first I have um, Hazel introduce herself and then Angela. Thank you so much for having us, Carolyn. Um, yeah, I'm the writer and director of Doublespeak um, and had the absolute pleasure of working with Angela um, who played Emma as the lead. Hi, I'm Angela Wonkerbone. Um, it's really lovely to be here. And I was acting in Hazel's film, Doublespeak. Thank you so much. So we're going to get in a little bit to the film. So the film is about Emma and she's working in, um, it's a corporate environment. We're not exactly sure what field it is, but which I think is one of the beauties of the of the story is because it can, it's something to show you that it can take place in any situation, in any work environment. Um, so she's faced sexual harassment and she's not, she's lost her complaint with HR and, with, and they investigated it. But things don't end the way that she was hoping, which unfortunately is all too common and is all too um, par for the course when it comes to sexual harassment in the workplace. And so first I'll ask Hazel about just the way you structure the story where we don't have any specific details about what happened with Emma. We just get these brief glimpses where you have like flashbacks and you have the investigator just saying some things like she there was an encounter in, a, in an elevator and he sent her um, inappropriate tax and that kind of situation. So just tell me about just getting your idea and structuring the film in that way. Yeah, so um, the film is based on my own experience of reporting sexual harassment in the workplace. And when I was writing the script, I I knew that I, that I wanted to make a film about this experience, but um, I wasn't so interested in the actual harassment itself, more like the aftermath and how um, and how the company and Emma sort of responded to that. So um, we sort of centered it around this meeting um, because it felt like the most obvious um, way in which she was undermined was less the harassment and more the aftermath of it. Mm. Um, it's true because sometimes when you do watch films that do talk about sexual harassment, a lot of it does focus on the, on the actual sexual harassment itself and the, uh, the emotional toll it takes as it's happening and just after and when they do the complaint. But for the way you structured it is, it is showing very much the situation that happens after you do the complaint, like just before you get the resolution or none at all, but it's the, it's the way you, you get this snippet of time in her life. And it's, it says so much about her. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you and that you had to do a, that this story was made about your own personal experience. But then when you think about it, it's like for as women, we've all unfortunately faced either the, exactly the same or very similar situation. So when you would have a female director making a film about this, and even if it's not based especially on a specific experience, like she does have an understanding of what the story is about. For you, Angela, could you tell me how you got involved and also your own, um, how you were able to get through the filming and the processing the story and Emma's emotions? Sure. Um, yeah, so I met Hazel actually through, an audition, but I think I was suggested um, to Hazel by a friend of mine who I went to when I trained at NYU, um, someone I met there. So uh, it was really nice because 
all those experiences that you have, you know, building up your credits and building up your craft in the industry kind of come full circle. Um, so yeah, it was nice to be reconnected uh, with other women in the industry that I had met before. Um, and drawing, um, I guess creating this character and creating uh, the, the mood and the, and the character for the final film, I guess, um, you know, it's exactly like you said that every woman has uh, unfortunately some understanding of, you know, what this experience is like. And even though, you know, mine and Hazel's experiences aren't exactly the same, I feel like there's a lot to empathize with there. And it, there's a lot of my own personal experience that I drew from in order to uh, bring a lot of honesty to Hazel's script and, and the character of Emma. Um, I think, you know, it's, there are a lot of places in society where it becomes hard to, to bolster your strength and courage against um, those kind that kind of red tape that exists, especially for women. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't take much digging, but I did, um, use my own personal experiences to construct that world of the character. And for Hazel, the, the thing that really struck me when I first, because I watched it a couple times um, when I first watched the film is, Emma doesn't have much dialogue. A lot of Angela's performance is mostly acting, especially her body language and her facial expressions. And it kind of sat with me that it's interesting that she is the focal point of the story. It's about her but she doesn't get much say in what's taking place. Most of the dialogue happens with, um, if you look at it, like with three men and one is the investigator, the other one I'm assuming is maybe possibly the CEO of the company. And then um, the, 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 her coworker, the gentleman who um, harassed and assaulted her. And it just struck me that where you have this situation where even in something as visceral as experiencing sexual harassment and emotional toll that is taking on her, she still doesn't get a voice. And then it's all about the onus of belief is placed on her. She has to prove what happened. She has to make them believe what happened. Whereas he says, oh, it didn't happen that way. And they're like, well, if he says it didn't happen that way and you don't have any proof that he must be the one that's right. So can you tell me a little bit about how you structured that particular part where Emma, there, like, it says so much where she doesn't get much saying the in the dial in the story with regards to dialogue, but everything is about her with regards to the acting and the performances. Yeah, um, I think like when we were approaching it and trying to figure out even how to film it, it was important to me that it didn't feel like um, like sentimental or um, it, it was like I wanted us to be very objective. It's very rooted in her subjectivity and it's her experience, but I wanted us it to feel like we were watching that happen to her um, and the. The, the language of it and her not speaking, I think speaks a little bit to the title of the film, um, which is, um, to me, it's like, there's so many ways in which she's undermined through um, them just speaking at her and like the rearranging of the language around and framing around her experience of, of harassment. And I think like often um, you don't, you might be the, the main character of your life and the story, but you, you might not always have the, the ability or the space to, um, say what you necessarily want to. And when Angela and I worked together um, on the character, we worked a lot and talked a lot about how um, she might wanna say a lot, but she's not in a position where she's able to. It's like, 
this is her job, it's where she works. She needs the job still, regardless of what happens here. Um, and so a lot of it was like uh, biting, biting her tongue and, and not being able to, uh, to, to say what she might want to. Mm. And for you, Angela, could you tell me a little bit about like you, you, before you said that you, you kind of have to draw on your spirits even though they weren't the same and you were able to sit into the character. But when you for the, 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 the main scene which takes place at the, in the conference room where she's sitting there, she's watching these, these two men, as, as Hazel said, talk at her. And like the first person that controls the dialogue is when you look at it, the investigator is talking, but then he gets interrupted by the CEO who's trying to make it seem like she doesn't understand the way of what's going on. He's like, oh, this is a very weird situation. And she's like, yeah, I know. I am the one who experienced it. So could you tell me a little bit about being in that specific um, scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's something that you learn to handle like like hazel said that um, unfortunately it's that you know there are other things at play you would love to be able to speak for yourself and you would love to be able to defend yourself freely but in that situation there are a lot of other things that you're thinking about like can i keep this job i really need this job you know what what's going to provide the best outcome for me out of this and and i think um a lot of the times we are taught to just swallow and and smile through it and and push forward because creating conflicts can have consequences um even if you are on the right side of things um and so you know, in my own personal experiences with reporting things or, you know, various kinds of harassment or even just like people that you want to leave you alone. It's like when you go to the police or you go to these authorities that, um, you know, are there to help you per se, there are always a lot of obstacles to progress. And that's you know, it can be one of the good things about our justice system and one of the bad things. Like you're not, in, you're innocent until proven guilty, but it also doesn't necessarily um, give a lot of, it doesn't allow victims to feel like they've been heard. Um, and so even though there is that idea of empathy that exists, I feel like there is a kind of catch 22 in the way that it it actually is orchestrated in the situation where you are reporting something, where you are in front of those people. Um, so it's a very complicated situation. And I think we tried to play every nuance of, you know, these people do care, but they're also protecting themselves. I have to protect myself to a degree. And while I would like to say certain things, I might not be able to. Um, and I think the film did a really good job of, you know, creating that kind of chokehold of complexity that exists in that, in that situation. You guys did a great job because again, as I, and it's something I, we're probably going to keep repeating, but I myself have been in similar situations and where you, you're in that space, even if it's not at work, but for instance, if you're in at a social event where there are a lot of people and you're at the back of your mind, you're still thinking, I really want to say something. But then you're like, you know that as a woman, there are people are going to look at you negatively first, then they're going to look at the person who's antagonizing you because you're, you're, you're always thinking, I have to have decorum, I have to be civil, I can't act out, I don't want them to look at me badly, I don't want them to think that I'm aggressive or, or you know, or that I'm haranguing anyone. And 
it's unfair that we always have to consider what other people think, even in the situations and at the times where we are feeling unsafe, where we're feeling uncomfortable, we have to, we're constantly, we make conditioned to consider everyone else's feelings above our own. And that comes through very clear in the film in, in particular there's, and it's a small moment, but it's after, and I'll, we'll get back to the scene in the conference room, but this one is the one that struck me and especially at this moment where she's, after what's happened, she's coming outside and she tells her mom that everything is okay. And even in that moment where you did a fantastic job, where you could hear the tears in your voice, where you're like on, just on the brink of breaking down, but you were just pulling yourself together. And I'm thinking, even in this moment where she wants to fall apart, she has to consider another person's feelings. It's her mom. She's protecting her mom for the reality and the truth of what's happening. And it's just, in, and like the film is only nine minutes, but you guys pack so much context into this story. And I think it showed a lot of, the way how sexual harassment and assault and whether it's whether it's physical or emotional and that the things that women have to process in our day-to-day -day lives that we're always looking at other perspectives usually not usually our own our own feelings and our own considerations are the usually the last thing we think about and you guys did a great job for that and and for that moment could you tell me a little bit about that moment where you're on the phone with Emma's mom and like what was running through your head as you like probably rehearsed and then as in the moment as you're in that scene? I think, um, you know, on the day we, we had talked about it a little bit previous to actually shooting and I had my own conception of what I wanted to achieve. You know, I had my own mother in mind who is very independent and, you know, very, very concerned with my well-being. And, um, you know, it is heartbreaking to think that you would, one, have to lie to this person and two, um, that you're not safe and that's you know, the tether that you have between each other. Um, and I think I played into that a little bit more in the original takes I did, but then Hazel um, interjected with her direction was like, you know, this is your mom. She has to not know anything that's going on. And so I tried to inject a little more of that covering, you know, it was less covering before, but I think it's, it, it, it points to reality in the sense that, like you were saying, you can't seem aggressive, you can't seem uh, erratic. Um, and I think that's another thing that women often have to face is like emotionality. And um, if you show emotion, you're going to lose in this battle for what you believe is right sometimes, you know, because emotionality can point to you know, this person isn't telling the truth. This person isn't, doesn't have a case. They can't handle what they're saying. They don't know what they're saying because they're emotional. And so it was just like another added level of um, really being able to, really having to um, take control of the situation and smooth it out and, and smooth out the, the underlying uh, tensions and the underlying injustice and just like put a blanket over it. So that way, you know, that other person in your life feels safe, especially, you know, being your mother, another woman in your life. Yeah, and, and Hazel, could you tell me, we were talking about the scene with her mom. So for you, the lead up to that scene is where they're, again, they're back in the conference room and this is a moment where we almost from the beginning, you kind of know that 
Emma is not going to win. That she that their outcome is not going to be exactly what she wants. It's not going to be that he's going to be fired. He's not going to be reprimanded. He's not going to face any kind of consequences. And there's this moment where, and it's almost like this like this sideways moment where she apologizes for something that she sh that she shouldn't have to where she. But it's again that's another moment where Emma feels that she's she has to acquiesce and give in and be like, I can't, I have to back down, you know? And it's a very small moment, but it says so much again, where even in this moment where she has another woman <laughs> at her side who's sitting there silently. And Emma, again, has to apologize for something that is not her fault. And, she's, and I read it as she's apologizing for not having enough evidence. She's apologizing for not speaking up, for not speaking up sooner. She's apologizing for not knowing that the, uh, the video recording would be deleted in six months because like who, who, who in the company questions or asks, when, when will you delete the footage in the elevator? Like she has, she's apologizing for that. She's apologizing for everything that's happening. And for, and for when you're restructuring these scenes, there's these, these vignettes, these flashbacks of what was, what happened to Emma. Could you just tell me about how you into like your process of editing and interweaving that into the story and into Emma's performance. Well, not sorry, not performance, but Emma's um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, emotional progression because I noticed that the way that the flashbacks happen at specific times during the dialogue. And just could you tell me just a bit about your editing process and the technicality of like interweaving these two plot lines into the same into the specific scenes? Yeah, for sure. Um... So the flashbacks were actually, um, they were, we improvised them on set within the specific parameters. Um, the rest of it was very scripted mostly because it was actually taken from a recording of my own similar interview. Um, so, and then I worked with Angela and the other actors um, to, to make it seem like it was like, or to have the, them in, inhabit the words and if, so that we changed stuff so it felt like, like their own. But then the flashbacks, um, of the of the specific incidents of harassment, we I spoke with Angela and with Frank, who is the um, who played Peter, um, and we uh, figured out what the the situation was, and then and then just let them um, try it. And we tried a few things. Actually, the one in the elevator, I couldn't even be in the elevator or see the footage because it was so small. And um, so we just shot a bunch of stuff and then um, I always knew I wanted to be a little impressionistic and um, there was there was a chance that I wouldn't use it at all but I felt like um, when we were editing those moments just like t the tiniest flashes really would speak to um, how she was feeling while while this like reliving the trauma of the meeting them like laying out so clinically like exactly what had happened in the as, as the charges were um, than with her own experience of, of those events. Um, and I felt like it just would um, give a hint at that kind of like interior, what, what she was experiencing while like the facade is so, um, so kind of composed, they were kind of hinted at what was, what was going on underneath. Mm -hmm. And this is, a, this is your first film and this is a very personal story for you. Um, what made you decide that this was the way you wanted to address this story to make it into a film that thousands and however many people will see it but then what made the time that you did make it that you were like that made you decide this is okay i'm ready to address this i'm ready to make a film about this and put this story out there for for um however many people to see yeah um 
Well, it was the first, it's the first, one of the first scripts I wrote when I went to film school, when I went back to school to Columbia to do my MFA. And um, I felt like, and then figuring out which script I would make, I kind of felt like every other film I would make if I didn't make this one would be about the same thing in some way. So I almost needed to like exercise it from my creative, um, uh, I don't know, imagination, repertoire, whatever, so that I could make films about other things um, because it had dominated my life for probably four years, this whole, it, I mean, the film's nine minutes, but the experience was was years in the making. So um, yeah, I just want, I wanted to make it and like get it out there and now I can, now I can work on other things. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like a, a catharsis, like, you know, people like you, you do therapy, you have a journal, there's all these ways that we ask people to exercise your demons, but I guess the way I'm, I see it is like for me, like one of the reasons I do uh, film criticism and everything is because like when I, especially when I write about films that I relate to very deeply, it's a way for me to like process emotions and process everything that I may have been feeling for years, whatever. But then I see this specific film and I see this specific story and I'm like, I can let it out and I get it out. And then it's kind of like easier to maybe deal with it again in the future. And like, um, like for me, um, I, there's like films I haven't been able to watch like dealing with like um, sexualist or whatever like there's I May Destroy You by Mechanical. I have not been able to watch that show yet because I, I had I have been dealing with like some memories and stuff from before my parents said you should watch it and I'm like no no I can't <laughs> right and and I, I've been processing out stuff and I'm like maybe I may get to that point eventually but but when you have a film like yours where there's nothing explicit or nothing that is very specific shown is hinted at I think that was easier for me to, to watch and easier for me to take in than something where you would see the actual assault, you know what I mean? So I kind of, I understand, totally, yeah. I kind of understand a bit what you mean about doing it and then being able to like move, not move on, but being able to like not have it sitting there for you to like say, maybe I should make a film about this in like three, four, five years. You're like, no, I did it. And I don't need to go back, right? Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to ask you is I noticed there's no score. It's all dialogue. There's nothing like to like, I guess you could say, um, influence our emotions. So that was that, a, was that intentional? And was that something you decided before you started making the film or was that something you decided during the process of it or after in, in post-production? Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I May Destroy You is amazing, but it's such a hard watch. Um, it's such a hard watch. So I can understand that. Um, the score, the lack of score, I just never, when I was writing it, I had a really strong um, idea of what it would look like, but I didn't imagine it with, with, any, um, with any music. And I think part of that is because I wanted to um, uh, avoid any kind of like sentimentality about it. And I wanted it to be very, um, a little bit austere um, because that's what the environment was like. So it's like sonically, I guess, um, to, to, for it to mirror the, the visuals, which are kind of cold and clinical. And I felt like um, music could maybe lead the emotion in a way that uh, would not have been, um, wouldn't have supported the film in the same way. Mm. And um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I guess it would say costuming or the wardrobe. And is again, this is something where I'm, I have moments where I'm speaking to directors or cinematographers, I'm like wondering, I'm like, am I thinking way too much about this? But when the CEO comes in, um, everyone has on like um, casual business attire, like full suit, but he comes in and his shirt is kind of slightly wrinkled on button. He has on his pair of bands with his cell phone in his hand. 
And for me, I read that as him just being so cavalier about the whole situation. For him, it's not this big a deal. He's not considering the actual ignor. He, he, he's talking about it's a weighty situation. But I'm like, the way you're addressing, the way you're approaching, it shows me that you have no idea what weighty actually means. And I wanted to just um, know, am I, again, reading into this? Or was that intentional once more again? No, it was... Um... The, the wardrobe was specific. I mean, for Angela, it's like, I won't, we talked about her feeling like she was wearing armor, like with her leather jacket and all in black and like the red lipstick, like protecting herself. And then the lawyer is obviously very like lawyerly. And then, yeah, I think the, the CEO kind of um, him being so casual speaks to exactly that. It's like a, he was very cavalier about the situation. And, you know, it's like also not, it's not necessarily, um, we're not on Wall Street, like it's not like a super, super professional um, in that way, kind of, kind of, I wanted it to feel a little more like where any of us could work, especially in New York City, um, in a more progressive theoretically workplace, but still, then this is happening and it kind of doesn't matter um, how, how like progressive and liberal and how, how much people think they want to support women in the workplace. And when it comes down to the financial bottom line, it becomes a different question. Mm. And Angela Free, when once a film you wrapped filming and you've seen the film, what was your react? What was your first and initial reaction when you first saw the finished product? I mean, I I was just elated for Hazel. I think she really achieved what she wanted to achieve. It was it was beautiful, and you know, be it always feels good when you're on set, and the set is amazing. You're in the rehearsals; the rehearsals are amazing. Everybody is an artist, and everybody's working at the top of their craft, and they want they all want to come together to make something wonderful that speaks to people universally. And it was just it was just very satisfying to see it all come together the way that Hazel had intended it, and. Um, I just felt very proud for all of us to be able to, to telegraph what we had intended. I mean, I felt that, you know, I was really glad that all the things that I was feeling translated and translated to other people because I heard from, you know, all different genders of all different identities of people responding in the same way, you know, so it's not it's not even just a film for women. I think it's a film for, you know, people today in our society and people that feel that empathy. It was just amazing to see it cross different, you know, different individuals and each person had that chilling effect, you know. Mm. And he's what has been the reaction for you and like for people watching the film and then also for you having seen having finished editing, doing post-production and everything, you're ready to send it off to film festivals. What was your initial reaction when you, you were, just before you said, you're saying it's completed, it is what I want it to be. And then for um, other people's reactions to it. Yeah, it's been, no, it's been amazing to, um, to see people respond to it. And, um, and yes, so many, uh, like Angela's saying, so many people have reached out and said that they um, either have experienced something similar or what I really wanted to like do with the film was if, if, if I, somebody watching can feel what Emma's feeling, what I felt, um, what Angela was portraying, you, you can't help but not want to be um, part of changing this, uh, this whole, what everything that kind of made it, what that situation was. And I think um, 
yeah, it's been a really rewarding um, experience, cathartic, like we said, but also like a, a nice way to to end what was a not such a fun um, experience in my life. <laughs> yeah, again, um, we're gonna wrap up now. And again, thank you so much for speaking to me. Like, I think you did a fantastic job with the film and I hope many more people get to see it. And before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to say um, about the film, about any upcoming work you have, about the festival, um, anything you'd like to promote, you know? Just, um, I hope um, I hope everybody watches and enjoys it. And thank you so much for having us. Um, it's been really great to speak to you and good thank to see you. Angela again. <laughs> yeah, and, and congrats to everybody else as well and Sundance 2021. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking to me and I hope you guys stay safe and um and maybe one day i get to meet you guys in person at another film and another film um sundance or maybe tip for another film festival again thank you yeah, so much and uh, congrats on the film and i hope you guys have an extremely successful festival season thank, thank you so you. much carolyn thank you carolyn thank you so we'll end so okay and so just before we end like we what we did just at the end so what i'll do is once it's edited and everything i'll send it to andrea and then she'll send it to you Right. Amazing. Thank All you right. so much. Thank, thank you. you. Everyone, again, thank you for joining me for another episode of Carolyn Talks and for this extremely amazing um, conversation with director and writer Hazel McKibben and lead actress Angela Wong Carbon about their new film Double Speak, which is showing at Sundance 2021. Before I wrap up, you can find me on social media at CarrieCNH12, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find my work on butwido.com, Observer. Comics B and, and a multitude of other online webs and multitude of other online outlets. And you can, and I've been doing virtual roundtables with the African American Film Critics Association. And you can find our discussion with writer, director, and editor Sam Pollard about his new film, MLK FBI. It's a great documentary that um, goes in depth into the history of the FBI's invasive investigation and wiretapping of Martin Luther King Jr. during his the civil rights movement leading up to his, his assassination. We've also done discussions with Sinico Martin Green for Star Trek Discovery, the cast of Prom, which is currently showing on Netflix. And we have some more coming up. We'll be, this, we'll be talking with Yatidia Badaki, star of American Gods, and a whole host of other films and TV shows going into 2021. And you can watch our round, ta our round tables and spotlights on the AFCA YouTube channel. And you can also visit the AFCA.com site where you can get links about the films, upcoming projects AFCA's having. And everyone, please just stay safe, wear a mask and wash your hands. Mm -hmm.